This is an emergency transmission from TV Cream. Hello, I'm Jack and this is TV Cream Stays Indoors. In this podcast, I send someone a link to an old TV show and then once they've watched it, I call them up to find out what they've made of it. Today, I'm talking to Matt Ricardo. Matt, you are currently being safe indoors somewhere, but where? I am in Southend, by the seaside. Lovely, that sounds great. Now, Matt, you're a variety artist. You've variously been described as a magician, a novelty act, and an extraordinary gentleman. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, um, I am not really a magician, um, but uh, I get mistaken for one often. I'm essentially, um, yeah, a variety performer, a, a, a circus um, arts practitioner. I'm a juggler and a, and a showman and a comedian. Wow. Okay. So instead of sending you a single program to watch, which is what we normally do on this podcast, I've sent you a playlist of acts and performances that I think are worth talking about. Some of them because, well, I just love them. And some of them because I think it will give us a chance to talk about how variety acts have been portrayed on telly and what their role currently is. So, shall we, and this is a future pun, if that such thing exists, shall we dive in? Yeah, absolutely. You sent me some great stuff. The first clip I sent you was of Larry Griswold on the Frank Sinatra show on the 13th of November, 1951. I'd like to introduce a man who is probably one of the greatest artists in this field. Ladies and gentlemen, the wonderful Larry Griswold. Can you explain to our listeners who Larry Griswold is and what his act is? <laughs> he is, in his own words, the diving fool. Frank Sinatra introduces him and this middle-aged guy comes on and says... I'm sorry, Mr. Sinatra, but Larry is unable to make it over here tonight, you see. He was, out, he was out celebrating again, and he's in no condition to die. Well, what do you mean he can't make it? What are it's we going to do to about it? to my whole family. I'm Larry's father. Oh. I've known him ever since he was a little boy. Look, I find him all the dives. I'll run up and do a couple of dives so you won't disappoint your people. No, he's just in this shabby suit, and he proceeds to attempt to do a, a high-diving act with uh, just some of the most beautiful slapstick stunt work ever performed live. Yes. It's fantastic. Yes. And I think also, um, as I understand it, I think in this instance, he's sort of pretending to be his own father, isn't he? But is he also pretending to be drunk? That's part of it as well, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't. It it doesn't seem like he's doing that on this version of the act, but that, that is what he was known for is being, you know, there's this fantastic piece of apparatus set on stage and then this drunk guy comes on and nearly dies trying to use it. And I know that when he worked live, he used to come out of the audience and he would be planted in the audience for the entire show being being drunk and being obnoxious, which resulted a couple of times in the bouncers from the club throwing him out. Um, you know, seeing it through the eyes of another variety act, he plays a couple of great tricks with the audience in that he comes on and pretends to not be what he is uh-huh. so it's built on on surprise and then there's the the big twist sort of three quarters through the act when it's not a pool it's a it's a trampoline but his it's all down to the fact that he's such a good performer a, a bad performer could do this act and it wouldn't work 
but he's so such a naturalistic clown, so funny, so good physically. And that first thing he does, he 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 climbs up and then does this the first stunt where he just falls backwards off the thing, and it looks like he is definitely going to die. <laughs> And the audience will have their seats. I mean, what a fantastic way to start an act. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Never give up and never say die, I always I think the weakest part of his act is his patter, but it strikes me that it's serving some function that I don't quite get. But by and large, it's, it's almost like he's just sort of filling the silence. I think that's exactly right. And I think when he worked live, which of course was the vast majority of his work, you wouldn't perhaps be able to hear everything he said as clearly as you can hear it when it's mic'd up in a studio. Yeah. It would just be this kind of, you know, that kind of thing that a lot of clowns do where they kind of sort of talk to themselves and chatter while they're doing something. The, the fact that it's mic'd up means maybe we're hearing it too well. Ah, okay. I hadn't considered that. And uh, the other thing that struck me watching this is um, it reminded me of something I read about the Marx Brothers whereby when they were when they were going to make some of their early films, they would tour the film as a show and they would have someone on the side who's basically watching what's happening and taking notes of what makes the audience laugh and what doesn't. And then they sort of iterate over time. And two hard-boiled eggs. And two hard-boiled eggs. Make that three hard-boiled eggs. And I kind of felt I got that sense from watching this. Do you think that's how we would have constructed this act in that it's an evolution of something that starts off as perhaps something a bit more simple in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one of the the key things I love about my art form is the idea of honing an act. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the interesting thing about Larry was that when he started, he was actually a diver. He used to do an mm. act like that with a real pool, but he had to... For, for, for health reasons and because he started touring and getting more successful, you can't have a pool in your act. So, you know, he, he used a trampoline instead. But it, it's, you know, all the timing is so Swiss watch perfect. And he, as a, as a performer, as a clown, he's so loose and he's so in the moment. And you're absolutely right. That can only come from years and years and years and years of stage time of knocking the edges off it until it's this perfect little piece. You know, and that's, for me, that is a, a, a noble work to hone an act over a lifetime until it's, you know, bulletproof. And so do you have something in your repertoire do you have, that, that has a particular act where you think, right, that's the one that I've, that, that's, that's accrued the most extra stuff or refinements over over time? Yeah, I mean, my, my standard kind of cabaret act, you know, the thing that I do if I'm, if I'm paid to come and, and do 20 minutes somewhere, you know, um, which is my, my, my tablecloth act where I finish by putting a tablecloth on a table underneath all the things. That was honed. I mean, I started doing that act when I was in my teens on the street at Covent Garden, and it and it's it's travelled with me all over the world to the you know Palladium, etc. Um, that's the the act that I do that I'm most confident that you can airdrop me in front of any audience, and I'll have them. I'll have them by the end, you know. And and yeah, it's, it's just the amount of time you put into to hone it. Now, in 2015, there was a chap called Vladimir Georgievsky. I think I pronounced his name correctly. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Who came onto Britain's Got Talent and did basically a very, very similar act to Larry Griswold. Oh, he's not again. He's not again. Oh, I didn't know. How, how do you feel about that? Is, is that just part of the, the business that perhaps someone like me doesn't necessarily get? You know, that, that people will just sell on their act? Well, it, yeah, I mean... You know, showbiz is is full of of uh, dishonesty. So I don't know this performer. So I don't know if he inherited the act, or bought the act, or stole the act. 
you know, I, I know that Larry Griswold did kind of bequeath, you know, when he, he sadly got injured and had to retire. And when he did, he he gave the act to a, a few kind of protégés who went on and performed it. I don't know if this guy is one of those or the descendant of one of those, but there's just as much chance that he stole it, in which case, you know, those those laughs he got, those the, the applause he got, it doesn't belong to him. It's not his. So, um, Larry Griswold, so I, I picked it just because I think it's fantastic. And I think what I'm sensing is that you agree. Oh, it's it's beautiful. It's a piece of high art. It's fantastic. Okay, lovely. All right, okay, so in which case, let's see if I can make it two out of two. So the next thing that I sent you was uh, Tom Noddy from an episode of the Paul Daniels Magic Show, which was first shown on the 23rd of October, 1982. So again, for the uninitiated, uh, Matt, can you explain who Tom Noddy is and what he does? Tom Noddy is a bubble magician in his own words he does bubble magic um he he blows soap bubbles and made this captivating cabaret act out of it i mean who this is this is the perfect example of how if you're a good performer with a creative mind you can make an act out of anything I'll tell you what I do. I do bubbles inside of bubbles, smoke bubbles, clear bubbles, clear bubbles inside of smoke bubbles, smoke bubbles inside of clear bubbles, inside out bubbles, yin yang bubbles, caterpillar bubbles, love bubbles, and a bubble cube. And the yin yang bubble is a double bubble, a smoke bubble, and a clear bubble with a clear bubble and a smoke bubble and a smoke bubble and a clear bubble. It's my most difficult trick to talk about. So let, let's just talk a little bit about um, uh, Tom's act. And as you say, it is, it's very niche, but there was a few things that I sort of noticed about it. Because again, you're trying to think, why is this so captivating? So one of the things that surprised me is how quiet. He is. And in actual fact, we don't even get any incidental music for about the first, I don't know, 30 seconds. He's here. He is Tom Noddy. So what's he trying to do at the opening of that act? It's it's interesting, isn't it? it? It's it's as if he's you know he's aware that he is not like most variety acts. You know he's aware that he's not a, a guy in a spangly waistcoat doing backflips. Um, uh, so it, it's and and he doesn't even he, I don't think he even says hello really until he's done his first bubble. And it's it's as if and and he is very quiet. He's very unassuming. He he's all in black. He's just this calm, gentle little hippie, and he's kind of getting the audience to lean in, which it you know for for his act you need to be paying attention. You need to be looking because it's small. It's intimate. I it, it's interesting that we were saying earlier that Larry Griswold probably didn't benefit from being in a TV studio. He probably would have done better live. I think with Tom, his act is better on TV than it would have been live because you can get nice and close. Um, and yeah, he just makes the audience all kind of settle down and lean in and he's so gentle and he creates a really nice, calm atmosphere. It's lovely. Mm. And also the other thing I noticed that, he, that all the bubbles have a name. So there's a love bubble, a Galactica bubble, the Wonderland bubble... Um, and that, to me, again, seems like that's something important about 
how, how this thing is presented that these things are particular it, i suppose that there's a there's there's a taxonomy of bubbles why why is he doing something like that why did why does he give them all those particular names do you think yeah i think i think you're right i think the taxonomy thing is 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 right it's as if all these categories of bubbles exist and 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 in a you know there are a whole other race of people that that use bubbles and they all know this and i'm just letting you in on that you know um it's and also it it is so nerdy it shows that that these are names that he has given to bubbles and that he categorizes them and it's it's getting it's him communicating his own personality really gently through this crazy little art form Not a lot. The Paul Daniels Magic Show, it strikes me, was... Uh, I, I, I don't know if there's anything comparable on British television as a platform for these sorts of acts. And, and I think there was something about the way that um, the programme seemed to respect those acts. And... Absolutely. Um, for, for someone like me, the Paul Daniels Magic Show is the be-all, end-all. It is... It was absolutely me as a child sitting in front of my parents' sofa in the front room watching that show years and years and years over and over and over that gave me the thought that I could do that for a job. And seeing all my heroes pop up, seeing people like Chris Cremo and Natalie Unterlein. Natalie Unterlein! And, and Air Jazz. Air Jazz! All these great jugglers come in and, and there's me, the the... the 14-year-old me looking at them on television and saying, well, that man has has done this as a job. He is clearly, this is a job. You can do that as a job. So if he can, maybe I can. You know, it, it, it was it was so important. And I was lucky enough to, to, to know Paul quite well before he died. And, and um, one of the greatest things that anyone has ever said to me was when I was in a show with, with Paul, uh, he was in the audience, and I had I had uh, I did the tech run of my act, and I came off, and he took me aside and said, "If I still had a show, I'd book that act." And I, it was that was it, that was it, done into the into the bathroom, nice little cry. <laughs> now, uh, one of the things that I, that I think is really interesting about Tom Noddy is he came up with this act, this bubble act. And there must have been a moment where he thought, this is the bit that's mine. This is the thing that I've thought up. What was the first moment in your career where you thought, right, this bit of business is mine? With, with variety, so, so much of it is rather than coming up with something new from scratch, it, it's taking something old and, and developing it and advancing uh-huh. it. You know, that, that's so, how so much of it works. Um, so... I guess for me, the obvious one would be my standard finale, my, my putting the tablecloth back on the table. You're very kind, but uh, that, of course, is child's play. That is not the trick. This is the trick. Um, that is... That is the only thing in my in in you know I've done what four full length one man shows, that that one trick is the only thing that I would say was entirely completely my creation. Everything else is inspired by or developed from, but that is, you know, nobody had had done that before I had done it. Um, 
which is either a, a, a great achievement or a huge waste of my adult life. Possibly both. When you came up with that, and obviously I don't want you to reveal how it works, but were you doing something and then you thought, oh, hang on, I could, I could get a tablecloth back on a table doing that? Or did you think, everyone's seen the tablecloth come off the table. I now need to come up with a way to put it back on. So which way round did that thing come? That was exactly it. I, I'd been ending my act by pulling the tablecloth, you know, which is this beautiful standard trick. And it's, it's a lovely thing because everyone knows it, but most people haven't actually seen it live. So it's a nice little thing to do. And then, you know, you do that for a while, you start thinking, well, how would I top that? that that's the curse of the circus performer. How would I top that? And I thought, you know, kind of as a joke, oh, well, you top it by putting it back. And then you start to think, well, is that possible? How would I do? Is that, you know, and I, I'm happy to tell you how it's done. Um, how it's done is I just learned to do it. Wow. Um, you know, there is, there is no gimmickry. There is no, it's not a special cloth or a special table or special china. It's, it's I just learned the technique of doing it. I, I, you know, and there was a good kind of year's worth of, of practice and using different techniques and broken china until... It worked, and that first time it worked, oh, my word. <laughs> That's a good feeling. Fabulous. Mr. Matt Ricardo, ladies and gentlemen. They're not, they're not fixed out, have they? It's all real. Right, look. Right. Okay, so um, Tom Noddy, I think that's two out of two for me. I think we both enjoyed Tom. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, excellent. So Wayne Dobson on the Royal Variety Performance from the 25th of November, 1989. Wayne Dobson is a magician. He was at this point uh, in his career, I think he was kind of in the midst of being crowned possibly Paul Daniels' successor. He, he had ITV behind him and he was going to be the next big TV magician. Um, and this, this is uh, from the Royal Variety Show and this was his big break. This was the moment that catapulted him. Thank you very much indeed and good evening. First of all, I'd like to point out, and secondly, <laughs> secondly, I would like to say this to you all, this. And thirdly, for the heart of hearing, I'll repeat that, that, and fourthly, here are a few small words, if at, on why, how. So he opens up with about six or seven quick gags, which are all really good, but also slightly um, surreal. And I kind of felt like he was, he's telling the type of gags I don't expect a traditional uh, magician to tell. What, what do you make of that? I absolutely agree, and this would just be suspicion on my part. This I have no insider knowledge about about Wayne Dobson. It, I would suspect because because you're absolutely right; those opening gags don't feel like him. No. Um, so I think he had a writer. I yes. think though that he that he paid someone to give him a real strong non-magic first opening minute where he could come out and go bang, 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 bang and get them laughing. Here's a joke for the telepathics. And sixthly, here's a joke for the dyslexics. That's what he's good at. He's good at delivering lines. He is slick as hell. And you can tell he also has put in the hours in clubs because he's bulletproof. He's bang, 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 bang. There's no pauses. There's no opportunity for anything to, to, to get in the way of his rhythm and his speed. It's, it's really honed. But for me, that's all it is. It's just lines and gags. Do you know what I mean? 
Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I had, I mean, you know, so I've already put my my cards on the table. That I, I mean, I really love this routine. But actually, when I was watching it today, the thing that I did observe is the tricks are quite perfunctory, really, aren't they? I mean, you know, it's a it's a it's a basic five card trick. <laughs> and basically, here's a trick. It's a trick about a trick where I saw a guy do an amazing thing with one, two, three, four, five cards. And then he does a, a really basic trick with um, two sponge balls. But actually, the thing that I thought was really clever is just the whole routine that he's he's worked up around it. So he gets Harry Carpenter to come up and Frank Bruno to come up and they do this trick with two balls and there's lots of gags. To do this trick, you must be the same distance away from him as he is from you. Excellent. You're working so well. What I'm going to do is we're going to do an amazing trick now with two balls, OK? These are not the ordinary, average, run-of-the-mill balls. They're sponge balls, OK? Hold out your hand for me, Harry. Great. Another clean one. <laughs> now, I would like you to hold that one there. That's good. Hold that ball there. That's great. Can I have your left hand? No, you're the left hand. Thank you. I just wondered to what extent then you think that his act just relies on those gags. That's, that's, the, that's the glue you're saying. Is that right? Yeah, it's, you know, there is a kind of speciality act where the tricks, and, and, and I'm certainly guilty of this sometimes, where the tricks are the least important thing. It's about the performer, it's about them being engaging and funny, and, and, and he is, you know, hitting all of those points. And, and interestingly, he's a magician, but the main skill he's showing here is ventriloquism. Yes. So he introduced that halfway through, doesn't he? Yeah, and he starts using his mic to provide the voices of Harry Carpenter and Frank Bruno, and of course he gives Frank Bruno a high voice. Okay, now, this is a trick. What is it? A trick. <laughs> a trick? Yes. Good. Harry Carpenter, a low voice. Can you hear Harry? Yes. Oh, you can hear Are you OK? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Say hello to the audience. Hello. Now, what we're going to do... Hey, you watch it. I'm sorry. Now, this is the trick. And it's brilliant. But it's not magic, it's ventriloquism. It's so interesting that he's really happy to mix and match different variety arts to make an act that, that abs- I mean, it absolutely kills. He, he is uh, greater than the sum of his parts. He's not a naturally funny person, I don't think. He's not, he is a good magician, but he's not doing any magic that is supremely complicated. And he's doing basic ventriloquism. But all those things put together with the, the bulletproof scaffolding of the act with the quickfire gags, and the stagecraft, he kills it. It's, it's more than the sum of its parts. Throw the ball towards Harry's hand. Would you do that? Oh, good. You feel it? <laughs> now, this... I need the toilet. Hold on a minute. <laughs> One minute, OK? I'm going to do it. Please don't do it. I just did it. Did you? That's not... <laughs> Harry, take your hand off your wrist. Would you do that for me? Keep that hand closed, but turn it over. Place the other hand over the top like so. Very carefully unfold the bottom hand. Once you've unfolded the bottom hand, separate your hands with one ball in each hand and the audience will go wild with applause. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Harry Carpenter, Frank Bruno, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Okay. So is this a good act, would you say? Is that what you're saying to me? Because I'm, I'm not quite sure if you are. <laughs> um, is it a good act? Yes, it's a fantastic act. Do I like it? Not so much. Okay, interesting. So now it's a, it's a bit of a gear shift, really. And um, the next thing that I asked you to take a look at was a comedy singing duo, Ross and Davis, from their triumphant performance as the series winner of Bob Says Opportunity Knocks from the 20th of June, 1987. So I don't really need to get you to fill in anything further here. I think it's pretty self-evident what they are. Didn't we leave school together? 
The scene was set. I went into business. I went into. Now, I loved this when I was a kid, but I don't really. I can't see why anymore. What did you make of? Did you do you remember Rosser and Davis? No, I, I have no memory of Rosser and Davis. Um, and yeah, it's. I, I I kind of agree with you. They were like they were fine. <laughs> they were, you know, the the song they sung was was nice. They sung it well. They were they were fine. You know what I mean? They didn't they didn't change my world. Um, I didn't watch them and think, oh, these guys are destined for for great things. I can't wait to see what they come up with next. Uh, you know, um, but again, you know, it's. I would imagine at the time they're an act that probably got booked a, a huge amount and did quite well. Yes, I think they did, but it, it they they do seem to be a bit underpowered to be a series winner of. Bob says opportunity knocks. Now, do you so you don't remember Ross and Davis? Did you do you remember Bob says opportunity knocks? Was that something you watched in your house? I don't have much of a memory of of watching talent shows as a kid. So yeah, this is why I had no idea who who Ross and Davis were. I wonder who they beat to win. Well, see, I can tell you this because um, again, I, because I remember it at the, at the time, and also I did have a look. Um, so there was um, the other actor I really liked at the time was a vocal quartet called the Balfour Chorus, and they did a four-part harmony version of Bohemian Rhapsody. Act number seven, let's hear again how the Balfour Chorus sounded tonight in the Palladium. I think they came eighth. But then the other notable person who they beat was Debbie, or as we now know her, Deborah Stevenson. In other words, you think you'll go on in show business? Oh, quite right, Mr Monkhouse. I intend to go on. And on, and on. <laughs> Who came on and was, uh, yeah, it was an impressionist. So I think that there's quite a lot of talent um, within the midst of those finalists. And I just wonder why, I, I don't know, I don't, it feels like we, we're not going to be able to answer this question, is why Rosser and Davis, as the winners of a massive UK talent show, and what did it say about what the public wanted from talent and talent shows back in 1987, do you think? I mean, there's there's no way for me to answer this without sounding um, incredibly bitter. Um, but so I'm I. You have to remind me. Was this was this a call in show where the the audience at home voted? So Bob's opportunity Knox was. I believe it was the first time actually that um, viewers yeah could could phone vote. Right. So I mean, again, I'm trying to not sound absolutely horrible. Uh, to Rosser and Davis, who again were good, um, but what you get is the the act with the most broad appeal. I think you know the you you get the act that is well they 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 seem fine, they're reliable, they're not gonna say a swear word. They you know they are they are a very strong seven and a half out of ten. Whereas you know there might have been acts who some people would have think, oh my. God, that woman is a genius, but someone else would have said, I don't get it at all. So that, you know, it's, it's the broad appeal that, that, that wins things. Yes, yes. But they, they, and they weren't actually that, I mean, I'm, I feel, like I said, I loved them at the time, but th their song isn't even particularly funny. There's, there's the occasional gag, but there's, yeah, there's nothing that's bringing the house down. Hmm. 
Um, but also, there's nothing there to 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 object to. There's no. nothing there to hate. Yeah, they're you very likable, aren't they? Because yeah, we are friends to the end. Yes, we are friends to the end. Yes, we are friends to the end. Yes, we are friends. And this is the end. The last thing that I asked you to look at then was there's a little package um, from Pop Idol uh, of sequences with um, Gareth Gates' um, Rise to Fame. Pop Idol started on ITV on the 6th of October 2001. Um, Matt, just in case people don't remember, who is Gareth Gates and was he any good? <laughs> um, Gareth Gates was a a pretty boy who sung. This is pretty much the extent of my knowledge of Gareth Gates. Um, he was a pretty boy who sung. I believe when he did this, he was. I think it says in the package he's like 17 or something. He's so young. So it seems very unfair to pour any kind of scorn on someone so young being on television. You know, but, but I will. <laughs> um, so I, was he any good? I don't know. I, I'm no judge of singing. He, I mean, he... Uh, no? I'm going to say no? I mean, he was... He could carry... Well, he could sing. He could sing. Um, but so could Russell and Davis. So find it in the face of their children. So find it in the lover's eyes. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. Yes, absolutely. So the reason why I picked Gareth Gates was because, to me, he he strikes me as the beginning of a new way that we seem to have got into thinking about talent and acts on television. And to me, the the, the important thing about Gareth Gates is when he walked into the room and he and uh, the judges asked him who who he was to say his name. Then obviously he's got a stutter, and so he really really struggled to say his name. Uh, my name is. Uh, Gareth Gates. Um, and then, uh, and so what he's done there is he set up this expectation on our part that this is going to be someone of low ability. So actually, then when he sings, and he can sing quite well, that's the thing that seems to move us. What you've done today is unbelievably brave. Just standing here in front of the four of us. And you are 100% coming to London for the next audition. And I wondered if this distance between our expectation of someone's ability versus their actual ability has now become more important than raw talent. I, I absolutely agree. You know, the obvious question here is if Gareth Gates had come on and had not had a stutter, yeah. would his singing have been good enough to get him through? Mm. And... I would posit that no, there is no interesting narrative that they can play out there. So why is why is he interesting? Yes. He's interesting because, as you say, he has a problem to overcome, and he does so using his art, and that's a good story. I think this can be enormously damaging. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. You know the the the, the Susan Boyle example seems almost misogynist in that the story they seem to be telling was here is a woman she is not conventionally attractive and she is old we should laugh at her i am 47 
And that's just one side of me. Oh, wait, she can sing. We must adore her. I dreamed a dream in time gone by. How on earth can somebody who doesn't look like Pamela Anderson sing? That confounds all of our expectations. It's rubbish. Yes. But, you know, these these shows are about the stories and the format and not about the performers or the talent, really. One of the things that I started to get suspicious of is whether some of the people who were auditioning had got wind of this and so had actually sort of downgraded their physical appearance. Is that, is that Has that ever crossed your mind as, as something that people might do it certainly would be you know a, a, a smart move wouldn't it mm. i mean it, you know i i see no reason to to not you know variety acts and, and showbiz people are are resourceful and flexible so i think if they see what needs to be done then they'll you know someone's gonna do it i don't see any reason why that would not happen hmm so when you went on america's got talent and by the way i'm not about to accuse you of downgrading your appearance um, um what i was going to say is because you understand the tropes of the program, was there a part of you which thought, right, okay, what narrative do I want to project here um, that, that is ancillary to my act? Or did you just think, I'm just going to go and do my act? Yeah. Um, the the thing with, with America's Got Talent was, you know, I did it for two reasons. Number one, obviously, um, it is some nice exposure. It's a nice little clip to have on your show wheel. And at this point, honestly, in my business, if you haven't been on these shows, people start to wonder why. So, you know, that's kind of annoying. It's like they painted me into a corner. But the other reason I did it and was because, you know, I've been doing my job for 30 plus years now. Um, so I'm really interested in having an adventure. Now I'm interested in doing things I haven't done before. So I did it mainly to see what it would be like to do. Because uh -huh. I've seen it from the outside and I have not been a huge fan of it. So I thought, I want to see it from the inside. I want to see what this is like. And it was an absolutely fascinating experience. It, it, I'm glad that I did it because it was really interesting. Coming back, I knew that I had to step it up. So what I'm doing this time is sufficiently different. Oh yeah, this guy. I like that. This chance could change my life. Yeah, to answer your question, I, I didn't have a backstory, or rather I didn't have any sort of backstory that I was happy for them to use. I wasn't comfortable granting them the rights to my real life. That's not what I am. And possibly that held me back a little bit. There were some times when during interviews, they asked me about things and I kind of said, no, nope, not going not gonna to talk about that. Sorry, that's, that's my personal life and I don't know you. <laughs> Which was, on one sense, dumb on my part, but on the other sense, I kind of knew what that would mean. Yeah, it was, it was, it was weird and odd, but I, I did kind of, in a very perverse way, I enjoyed it. What I love about you is you are a showman, and you show a different side of yourself. You're taking a gamble. That gamble paid off. Well, wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. And what do you think of Variety on TV at the moment? It's in a bad state. It's in a bad state. I've spent my entire career, especially the last sort of 10, 15 years where I've, where I've achieved some tiny amount of success, I ache for there to be a real variety show on television or on a streaming platform. I want there to be a show that documents and captures the uh, my, my favorite thing, uh, you know, being in a small 
dark, hot little venue full of amazing people with a with a crowd who are baying for more and a hot spotlight. And you know, I I want that. That is the reason I do this job is for those moments. And I want there to be a show that that captures that. And it would it wouldn't be hard to capture. They've done it with stand up. There are plenty of shows that just showcase stand up in a really nice, visually interesting way. Variety and Cabaret is is an incredibly cutting edge, exciting, diverse art form. And and I are uh, I would nothing would make me happier than to be able to put that on television. But I just don't see it happening, sadly. Uh, Matt, how did my TV Cream Variety playlist fit into your day? Did it cheer you up? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I'd never seen the Gareth Gates thing, and and I just I watched open mouthed <laughs> at that. Um, it was lovely watching Wayne Dobson through the eyes of a Variety act and seeing what he's doing, seeing the machine behind the entertainment. And Larry Grizzard and Tom Noddy are just ridiculous, fantastic people. <laughs> yes, yeah, they definitely are. And how are you finding life in lockdown in general? I don't like it. No. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm a shallow showbiz idiot, and although it is, you know, I I, I have privilege. I'm I'm I've got a house. I'm safe. I'm fed. I am missing the backstage gossip with my with my pals and i am missing being on stage in front of an audience and staring into their eyes and having fun with them that is my therapy i'm also missing therapy <laughs> <laughs> okay well listen thank you matt for watching my variety tape and thank you for talking to me about it now stay indoors mm.